Before we get started, a note. Delaware by Dark discusses themes of suicide, murder, mayhem, and things skulking in the shadows. Listener discretion is advised. If you're having suicidal thoughts or thoughts about hurting others, please reach out for help. Contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline or your local mental health provider. Help is always available to you. And now, dim the lights, open your mind, and watch the sunset. The sun has fallen, and another autumn night has laid claim to us. We're in the thick of it now. Of that, there can be no doubt. But stay close. Soon the darkness will fade, and you'll be left walking in the late fall morning. You'll enjoy the last tastes of warmth before the long winter comes. So get out into the world while there's still time. Travel by blacktop to some faraway place if you have to. Get some comfortable shoes and get off the concrete to a place where the world is more feral. A place where you can recenter and reconsider our role in nature. A place where you are not in control. For thousands of years, humanity struggled against the wild. Wilderness meant degradation and danger. But for some, it also meant peace. It's what propelled the constant migration to unknown parts in our earliest history. The cities began belching smoke and disease and a dissatisfied folk into the hinterland. They came in covered wagons, on horseback, in groups and caravans. European settlers covered North America like fleas on a dog. The journey seemed endless. There was always something beyond the horizon. The western border constantly shifted ever closer to the Pacific. Each bite civilization took only made it more hungry, more greedy. Resources, forests, native peoples, everything was chewed up and digested. Civilization devoured the world and excreted pollution and profit and genocide of both plants and animals. And once everything was done, once we had stretched from sea to shining sea, the smorgasbord ended, and there was only the ache left to be suffered. Humanity's avarice may have no bounds, but there are times when more disciplined minds decide to save something. Not all of our natural wonders have been exploited. Each state in our great union contains at least 15 parks that have been deemed worthy of protecting. There are over 3,700 of these places in the U.S., which translates into millions of acres of wild and untamed lands. California leads the way in volume with 270 parks, while Alaska dominates the area at 3.4 million acres. And even though Delaware is the second smallest state, and real estate can literally be worth millions, 17 state parks have been formed and protected. Delaware's state park system contains over 26,000 acres of land and over 100 miles of walkable trails. These parks contain multitudes of biomes, from large freshwater ponds to the salty ocean dunes. Forests shelter native birds and sprinting sandpipers dance with the waves. And each park has its distinct personality, its own geographic quirks, and in some cases, its own dark history.
It's hard to imagine as you listen to the soft crunch of a trail beneath your shoes, but not every place is safe. There are countless accidents that occur within state parks every year. There are also a few shockingly violent crimes that happen far away from the soft embrace of civilization. What happens when untamed wildernesses experience the psychic stain of mortality? Does the energy dissipate and disappear into the world? Does the forest even care? Or does it seep into the ground, get soaked up in tree roots? Does it twist the boughs and branches? Does it sully the primal purity of nature in some unforeseen way? Out in the inky darkness, do you watch the wild? Or does the wild watch you? My name is Mark Belisle, and this is Delaware by Dark. In 1681, 50 years after the destruction of Zvanendal, William Penn arrived in North America to survey his new holy experiment. South of the lands that would eventually become Pennsylvania, he directed deputies to set aside a stretch of shoreline. This land, named Cape Enlopen by Dutch explorers in the 1620s, was to be preserved. Its natural resources were to be held in a trust for the good of all citizens. He turned his attention towards negotiating land purchases with the Lenni Lenape tribe. After securing the lands, they were indeed left unspoiled. Cape Enlopen wouldn't receive its official designation as a state park until 1964. But in the intervening 300 years, there were plenty of odd, gruesome, and terrifying things that happened within its borders. If you go to Cape Enlopen today, especially in the summer, you'll find thousands of tourists soaking up sun and salt water. In the warmer months, people can bike the trails and explore the park's natural beauty. But once the weather cools and the summer folks leave, the place gets much quieter much more eerie. You can walk to the place where the ocean meets the sand and gaze out upon the vast blue emptiness before you. You'd never know the waters that kissed your shoes were responsible for the deaths of hundreds, if not thousands, of people. Those same placid waters have dragged down countless ships since the Dutch first came. The first documented shipwreck occurred 20 years before William Penn left England. It was Christmas Day, 1655. A ship called the Devonshireman approached Cape Enlopen in the darkness. A cold and wretched storm had been plaguing them, so visibility was poor. The captain, an able-bodied and experienced seafarer, spied a flashing light on the shoreline. He grinned, excited to have the lighthouse to guide him into safe harbor. Using the light, the captain fought against the storm coming closer and closer to the shoreline. He didn't even have time to see the truth of what was waiting for him. The Devonshireman hurled itself upon the rocks in the bay, tearing the boat in half. Men were flung from their stations into the icy black Atlantic. Some were riddled with splintered wood, trapped in the cabins as the ocean poured in through the puncture wounds in the hull. In all, 200 men died that Christmas night. They were the first, but they were not to be the last. 
Throughout the years, hundreds more men met their end in the waters of Cape Henlopen. The glow the Devonshiremen's captain mistook as a lighthouse became quite notorious among sailors and locals. They called it the Corpse Light. Anyone who witnessed the beaches after a shipwreck would understand why it was named so. Locals began to tell a story about a Lenape marriage ceremony intruded upon by British soldiers. The ceremony ended in bloodshed as the soldiers gunned down innocent people. Those telling the story would say that the Lenape retaliated by placing a curse upon a cylindrical piece of stone. That rock would spell doom to all white men attempting to reach Lenape lands. The corpse light devoured ships large and small. In 1798, a British sloop named the Debrock came too close to the light and was destroyed in the bay. It's said that even today, if you go out to the Cape in the darkness, you can sometimes see a spectral replay of the Debrock's final moments, the ghost ship forever trapped in a loop of death and suffering. Two years after the Debrock sank, an expedition barge made the same mistake. Hundreds of bodies washed up beneath the pale glow of the corpse light. It seems the only thing hungrier than civilization is the ocean. You could chalk up these disasters to any number of things. Bad weather, bad tools, bad leadership. But what if the last major disaster hadn't happened hundreds of years in the past? What if it was within the last 40 years? In 1980, a ship called the USS Poet left Philadelphia and began to move south. It carried 12,000 tons of grain on a vessel the size of two football fields. As she rounded Cape Enlopen, the ship reported in a final time. And then, she disappeared without a trace. Seven U.S. Navy planes reconnoitered 290,000 square miles. They ultimately turned up nothing. Did the corpse light claim its final victim? We don't know. The ocean is vast and terrifying. Anything could have happened to the ship, and many a brave heart lies asleep in the deep. But Cape Henlopen's spooky stories don't end at the ocean line. There's plenty of scary things happening on the shore as well. Many of these sightings occur near one of the iconic observation towers built during World War II. After Fort Miles was constructed in 1941, the United States Army was commissioned to build the towers in Delaware. They were meant to allow soldiers to keep an eye on German U-boats that patrolled offshore. The towers themselves were very effective in this effort. On a clear day, soldiers could see 14 and a half miles of shore and could radio a warning to the main installation if they spotted anything. It was a place of service, of sacrifice of professionalism. The soldiers stationed there never had to fire a shot against the enemy. In 1944, the first drawdown at Fort Miles occurred, and steady erosion of deployments eventually caused its closure. The fort became Cape Penlopen State Park, and even today you can scale one of those tower's spiral staircases. The scenery is beautiful. But strange things are rumored to happen within the state park, especially near spotting Tower 12. The tower's bunker is buried in the sand, the only part visible is a grate. It's said even though the war is over, one soldier never got the message. 
Locals say if you approach the bunker, you'll start to feel cold, even on a blazing summer day. Get too close, and you'll hear him yell a warning to leave. Linger, and you might feel a hard push against your back when you least expect it. And when things are especially weird, you'll hear strange growling coming from the submerged bunker. You can search, but you'll never find any animal tracks nearby. It's enough to make the hair on your neck stand up. Good thing these are just stories, right? But still, you should do yourself a favor and search for pictures taken around the bunker. In some of these, barely visible in the shadows tucked behind the grate, a ghostly face can be seen as the soldier stands guard, trapped for eternity, waiting for an enemy that is never coming. The ghost serving at Fort Miles isn't the only such specter haunting the Delaware coast. 14 miles to the south, in Delaware Seashore State Park, another spirit is said to walk the beaches. Travel the dunes alone, and you'll have a chance to see this reported ghost. The phantom is said to be a full-body apparition of a young woman in an old-fashioned bathing suit. If you looked upon her, you would be able to see through her body to the Atlantic Ocean beyond. If she caught you looking, she would rush over to you and beg for help. Witnesses say you can see the tears in her eyes as she tries to pull you over to the shoreline. Who is this mystery woman? Was she a swimmer enjoying the ocean? Maybe she was caught in the tide. After all, the nearby Indian River Inlet has been known for having treacherous waters. Several people have drowned in the park in recent years. Maybe she was just a poor soul caught in the cold grip of the Atlantic. The mystery of how she died will probably never be solved. She'll be doomed to eternity, pleading with strangers for hope she'll never receive. Much like another ghost further away in the north. Lum's Pond is the largest body of fresh water in Delaware and one of the most beautiful camping sites in the state. The pond was formed in the early 1800s near the town of Bear to supply water for the locks of the Chesapeake and Delaware Canal. The pond began to attract people looking for recreation, so when the ownership of the pond was transferred to the state, it quickly became a state park. Unveiled in 1963, the nearly 1800-acre area was named Lums Pond State Park. Lums Pond quickly became known for its hunting, fishing, hiking, and miles of trails. It also became notorious for a tragedy that happened one night on its banks. In 1870, long before it became a state park, a young girl ran away from home and took refuge there. It was in the late afternoon when she arrived, and she began to walk along the trails looking for shelter. The sun began to sink below the trees, and she began to grow worried. It would be dark soon, and the temperature would begin to drop. She didn't have shelter or clothes that would keep her warm. It would quickly turn into a miserable night if she didn't find something safe soon. As the darkness fell, she wandered near where the modern-day swamp trail follows the pond's shoreline. She disappeared into the dark, where the real terror began. While there were no witnesses to the act of brutality, 
There is plenty of evidence speaking to what happened that night at Lum's Pond. The girl ran into another camper, a man. Did he offer her a place at his campsite? Did she take him up on it? Or did she look into the man's eyes and understand exactly what he planned on doing to her? The man turned on her and attacked the poor girl. Her screams rang out into the twilight. She begged and pleaded, but it was no use. There was no one there to help her. The man did unspeakable things, and when he was done, he ended her life. He left her lying in the brush as the night settled on the pond. The monster made no attempt to hide what he had done. And so when the morning came, it was only a matter of time before her body was discovered. Local law enforcement launched a manhunt to capture the murderer, but he slipped through their grasp. The crime never even had a suspect. There was to be no justice for the poor girl. The heinous murder left an indelible mark on Lum's Pond, one that is still felt even today. All that rage and fear concentrated into a small area. It's a wonder the trees themselves didn't twist and grow poisoned fruit. Because even now, over a hundred years later, hikers still report awful sounds in the brush around the pond. Trek around the seven-mile swamp trail, and you'll still hear her voice on the wind. As your sneakers crunch the fall leaves, you can listen closely and hear her whisper, No, please don't. You'll find strange cold spots that cause your skin to erupt in goose flesh. As you shiver, you'll notice how much darker it's getting. It won't be too long before the sun is extinguished. So you'll rush back to your campsite, ignoring the rustling brush, ignoring the wind and the branches of the trees. When you get back, your trembling hands will have a hard time unzipping your tent. You'll clamber in, zip it up, and then laugh at your own foolishness. You'll ditch the pack you wear and go to change into your sleeping clothes. Maybe you'll be pulling on a warm shirt when you hear the sound of crunching outside the thin nylon tent. You'll hold your breath as the footsteps draw closer. You'll wonder if it's the girl still seeking shelter, or the man hunting for a new victim. The rustling will grow louder, and you'll tuck yourself into your sleeping bag. You'll burrow deep, like a caterpillar in a cocoon, and pretend nothing is really happening as the footsteps retreat. And then, out in the distance across the placid surface of the pond, a shriek of pain and suffering will split the silence like an axe. And maybe, just maybe, you'll find yourself screaming with the ghost of Lum's Pond, both of you begging for it all to stop. Lum's Pond is a beautiful, if not eerie, place. The natural surroundings offer many native species a refuge to rest and enjoy a life removed from humans. A similar sanctuary exists an hour to the south in the Milford Neck Wildlife Area. Milford Neck is a prime habitat for migratory birds numbering in the millions. 
They arrive in Delaware every spring to feast upon the eggs laid by horseshoe crabs emerging from the ocean. In addition to coastal dunes and marshland, the wildlife area also contains the largest forested area left on the Delaware coast. More than a thousand acres of dense trees provide an even greater variety of natural beauty. But all is not well in the forest. Reports of strange whispers and orbs of light are enough to keep the locals talking. Hikers enjoying the sights report the sensation of being watched, hunted even. The reason why? Let's just say the spirits of the native tribes living in Delaware before the arrival of European settlers can't rest easy. Settlers riddled the area with ditches meant to drain the marshlands. It was during this excavation that a hundred ancient graves belonging to the local Lenni Lenape tribe were disturbed. These sites were estimated by some to be over 1,200 years old, and just like that, they were destroyed in the name of progress. Could your bones rest easily after that? Sightings of hostile apparitions in the woods made even the stoutest heart flee in terror. The ghost became so bad that in 1972, a Lenny Lenape woman attempted to exorcise the area and help put the spirits of her ancestors to rest. But if anything, the problem has only gotten worse. Those exploring the wildlife should be warned that they may not be the only ones walking those woods. The Lenape spirits aren't alone in the area, far from it, because 20 minutes away to the southeast, Slaughter Beach gives Milford Neck a run for its money. The grimly named place isn't typically what one thinks about when they imagine beaches. Slaughter Beach's sands are more rocky and less inviting for sunbathing. The biting horseflies in the summer are nearly impossible to tolerate, and the sight of thousands of horseshoe crabs on the shoreline gives the place the look of a Lovecraftian nightmare. But the disturbing sights aren't limited to the beach, because on the boardwalk trail between Slaughter and Bowers Beaches, the spirit of a man is said to visit the occasional hiker in the middle of the day. The ghost isn't scary, but it can be unsettling to feel the encroaching cold creep up your spine, to feel all the hairs rising on your arms as it draws closer. It said the ghost is old Jonathan Morris, whose farmhouse used to be close to the trail. If you were interested in meeting Mr. Morris, you'd have the best chance to find him at the Morris family graveyard. There he paces the ancient tombstones and looks out upon the wild place he loved while he still lived. Elsewhere on the trail, another spirit has been terrorizing hikers since his untimely end. This malevolent presence has been known to attack people near a large ditch. Local stories describe the ghost as having once been a depressed man who took a final walk on the trail that day. What was haunting the man can't be said, but when he came upon the ditch that was to be his grave, he climbed down, sat in the mud, and shot himself. This poor suicide victim couldn't find the peace and death that he so craved in life, and now the disappointment has curdled his spirit. Every so often, people passing through will talk about the freezing cold near the ditch. Some will say they were pushed or attacked by an unseen force, and still others will report they felt an overwhelming urge to leave the area as soon as possible. 
The final haunted location in Slaughter Beach is the remains of Fort Salisbury. While Fort Miles gets most of the attention of the southern reaches of the state, Fort Salisbury has got itself quite the reputation for ghostly activity. The fort was constructed in 1917 during World War I. While it was designed for coastal defense, the fort also ended up housing some 300 prisoners of war. These men didn't stay there for free. They were conscripted into agricultural work. They provided free labor to help feed the troops overseas. After the war ended, the men were sent back home, but something is rumored to have stayed behind. After the fort was deactivated and sold, reports of paranormal activity near the cell blocks have abounded. People report hearing German voices talking in the dark. Strange shadows and a lurking presence also plague the area. The ruins of the fort are located on a private property where Route 36 ends. The last article written about the fort mentioned the whole area was now a goat farm. Farming in life, farming in death. No wonder something stirs in Slaughter Beach. While these stories are mostly harmless, the last state park we are covering tonight is something else entirely. It's been called one of the most haunted places in the United States. Even now, the mere mention of the place is enough to quicken the pulse of many would-be investigators. While the men around Fort Salisbury were treated kindly for the most part, there is another fort, far to the north where conditions weren't nearly as accommodating. And the ghosts there are much less forgiving. In the middle of the Delaware River, Peapatch Island houses one of the most notorious U.S. military complexes ever constructed. The U.S. military has owned the land since the 1810s, during the War of 1812, the island was fortified and armed, but it wasn't until 1859 when the construction of the modern-day fort was completed that it finally became the imposing site that it is today. The fort's pentagonal walls protect the compound on all sides from attack. In its time, it was the third largest fortification in the U.S., and military officials would put all its space to wretched use once the Civil War broke out. Fort Delaware was multi-purposed as a defense fortification and a POW camp. When Confederate soldiers were captured or surrendered, they were put on the ferry and brought to Fort Delaware to await the end of the war. While the arriving Confederates may have thought the battlefields of Gettysburg were hell on earth, they had no idea what was waiting for them behind the walls. At the time, Fort Delaware was commanded by a man named General Albin Francisco Schopf a Polish immigrant who volunteered when the war broke out. He was a successful field soldier who served under Major General Don Carlos Buell. General Albin was aggressive, perhaps more so than was considered necessary. After he had a falling out with Major General Buell, Shope asked to be transferred when he heard there was to be a hearing about his conduct during the campaign. With his outright hostility questioned, Shope found himself assuming command of Fort Delaware. He had proven himself to be quite aggressive in the field, and now would show the world just how hostile he could be. Confederate soldiers quickly nicknamed him General Terror, and there are many accounts speaking to the humiliations and deprivation he put them through. 
13,000 Confederates were housed in the wooden barracks in the deepest pits of the fort, and conditions quickly spiraled out of control. Food rations were inconsistent, small, and nearly inedible most of the time. There was no water for cleaning or bathing, and the water that was available for drinking was described as putrefied. The men lived on top of each other, so outbreaks of smallpox were common. Malnutrition and scurvy racked the prisoner population. Cruel prison guards would spend time gathering rats from around the fort. When it came time to feed the prisoners, the guards would drop the rats into the teeming mass of men. They would laugh while watching the men fight and riot for the chance to kill the creature and have a hot meal. Disease was everywhere, nothing but the stench of unwashed men sweating in the dark, nearly killing each other for rats. A truly miserable existence. 2,700 men died at Fort Delaware in conditions that were unimaginable to most modern-day people. All that suffering, all that grief and rage and terror, all of it conspired to stain the walls of Fort Delaware with extraordinary energy. Energy that persists even today. After the fort was named a state park, staff and caretakers noted the horrors that regularly took place in the darkness. Now they don't even pretend that the place isn't haunted. There have been too many stories, too much evidence that prove the opposite. Full-bodied shadows dart around the corners to keep from being seen. In the dungeons, phantasmal chains clank and echo in tiny concrete rooms. Moans and screams reverberate in the darkness. Translucent soldiers loitering between passageways have been photographed. Even sophisticated infrared cameras have documented human forms studying researchers as they themselves were being studied. All of this is widely available online. Famous ghost hunters came and explored the site and walked away completely convinced that there was no rational explanation for what they had found. Even the staff acknowledges the strange experiences here. People have been pushed, clothing has been yanked, hair has been pulled. If asked if the place is haunted, most of them only nod and glance nervously at the shadowy corners. The ghosts of Fort Delaware have inspired countless visits from research teams, books, paranormal tours, and even a podcast or two. That's because the dead don't stay dead at Fort Delaware. There in the darkness, lurking just beyond your vision, thousands of departed souls wait for you to close your eyes, wait for you to give yourself over to the horror of the place. The residue of 2,700 souls departing is enough to make anyone feel queasy, especially when you think about the rats dropped from on high, and the men in their most bestial forms, with arms outstretched as if they were accepting manna from heaven. The men who were trapped within a hell of humanity's own creation, who were willing to attack and deprive their fellow soldiers if they could just get a taste of rat flesh. Fort Delaware has a way of feeding on visitors the same way. Those walls seem designed to crush spirits and to remind all souls stepping within those gates that they are forever bound to the place, that there is no return, 
no escape from the awful terrors of the cruelties of man, that they too shall be dangled over outstretched hands and dropped into the darkness, where there is only pain and fear and the awful sound of gnashing teeth. One of the greatest lies we tell ourselves every day when we wake is that we are in control. You could forgive yourself for thinking as much. After all, how many of us live in blacktop neighborhoods, gated communities, and carefully constructed developments? Even out in the countryside, our construction projects are artificial. Orderly fields, fences, and cordoned off plots of land speak to our attempted mastery of nature. Some state parks are so carefully manicured and curated that they appear artificial at times. But the wild places are truly untamed. Spend enough time where the blacktop ends and the thin veneer of control gets cracked by invasive roots, tangling vines. In the few places we've allowed to remain natural, that veneer is rubbed away into non-existence. The experience isn't curated when you step into a forest, on a mountain, in the ocean, or even the desert. Nothing is truly within your control. It's an important lesson to learn. These gorgeous places are the antidotes for the hubris of humanity. If you follow the wrong light, you'll be dashed upon the rocks. Turn off on the wrong trail, you'll be hunted in the dark. Build the walls, bring as much order as you please. The predators will still get in. Our wild places, our state parks, offer us a trade. A lifetime of perspective, a vast wealth of knowledge and beauty, a sense of belonging in the world, all in exchange for respect. It's a deal we should consider. It's a deal we should make. Otherwise, when all the wild places are gone, when our chance is lost, these missed opportunities will haunt us in the dark, a forgotten ghost of what might have been. Thank you so much for joining us tonight on the fourth episode of Delaware by Dark. I hope you enjoyed the little walk down the more primal paths of Delaware history. It would mean the world to us if you rated and reviewed us on your podcatcher of choice. If you don't feel like rating and reviewing, you can always share it with a friend, loved one, or bring the podcast camping and offer it to the strange man blocking your path. These spooky stories are enough to leave him running for the city. If you've ever been to Fort Delaware, or even wanted to give me a brief description of your favorite migratory bird, write into the show at randomdrawpodcast at gmail.com. We're planning on making this a month-long journey, and I would love to hear your spookiest stories. Delaware by Dark is a Random Draw production and was written and hosted by Mark Belisle. Hey, that's me. And produced and edited by super skeptic Dave Hubbard. He may be an indoor human, but he's an excellent editor and friend. Special thanks to the incomparable Amber Larimore Mann, who shared with me the invaluable indexed hauntings of Delaware, and to all those park rangers serving a sacred mission to protect our planet. If the wilderness is where you can truly find yourself, then these are the most important guides we could ever ask for. Keep up the great work. Next time, on the season finale of Delaware by Dark, join us as we come home. In the meantime, stay safe, open your mind, and keep watching the shadows.